This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com forward slash B-E. Welcome to the Authority Podcast on the B Podcast Network. I'm your host today, Ross Romano, and just for a little intro about myself, since this is our first episode, uh, I've worked in the education world for the past decade with nearly 100 different companies, hundreds of authors, many more educators on sharing their message, informing their stakeholders, and connecting with collaborators. Ultimately, it's all about taking the necessary steps to improve their outcomes. So in short, I work on the journey from vision to decision, and that's really what we want to do more of with this episode here. You're going to hear interviews from myself, from Jethro Jones, and from other hosts across this podcast network, and we're going to do really deep dives with authors to uncover the why behind their books, gain an understanding of their unique expertise. And by speaking with those who are the authority on various critical topics, we really hope to provide you with transformative knowledge that will strengthen your work immediately. And so I'm really uh, pleased and honored today to have Sean Slade as our first guest here. Sean is author of a new book called Questioning Education, Moving from What and How to Why and Who, and it's published by Rutledge Ion Education. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Sean, a little more about him. He's been in the education world for nearly three decades uh, across the world, really. He's a former teacher, head of department, and ed researcher, and he currently serves as head of education at BTS Spark North America, which is a not-for-profit practice focusing on developing the next generation of school leaders. Uh, you may also be familiar with Sean's work in 11 plus years in various roles at ASCD, focused on healthy schools, whole child, and outreach. And he also is an expert with organizations as wide ranging as NBC Today and UNESCO and their education efforts. So um, can't think of a better person to kick us off here and someone who has a perspective on kind of what's happening in education at, at all levels. So welcome, John. Thank you, Ross. No, it's great to be here. Great to meet you again and also talk about the book. Looking forward to it. 
Yeah, and, and uh, you know, to the title of the book, questioning education, and kind of the the premise largely of of a lot of the discussion we're having in the field about we really need to question everything that we're doing. Right, it's the only way to kind of um, critically stress test our processes and say, well, we've been doing this this way. Why <laughs> and should we still be? Uh, I, I kind of want to start off with one question that is based on what you've been evaluating uh, recently and some of the you know, changes that are hopefully underway. But what's one assumption about schools right now that not only needs to be questioned, but that is uh, probably false at this point and who holds it? For example, mm. not too long ago, an assumption about schools is that school is a noun, right? A school is a building, it has classrooms, there's teachers, there's students. Well, now that's no longer the case, right? And that assumption was probably held well past the point where it should not have been the case anymore. Uh, yeah. But certainly now we all know, okay, that school is what happens. It's education, it's schooling, right? It's a verb. Okay, only once we kind of remove that assumption, can we actually do something about it? So what's the what's the new one? What's the one that you're seeing that's commonly held? And it could be by the education community, it could be by the public that's yeah, like, no, a, this is not right anymore. Yeah, I, and I think there's a number that have risen up over the last couple of years. And for many of us have been rising up over the last couple of decades, to be honest. I think, I think the biggest one and the reason why I wrote the book as well is basically an assumption or a false assumption on what education is for, the purpose of education. because right. And that's really you know, the reason behind the book. And what we're seeing, especially in the US right at this moment, more with politicians, but also with parents and families and communities, is this assumption, which I personally think is antiquated, that education is there to accrue facts and figures. So it's mm -hmm. all about getting content. And so you're seeing pushback from people if they're looking at the context of why something is being learnt, the climate and the culture um, of the students being taught, and even, you know, some of the books being read. You know, if we take the assumption um, that I do, that education is there to help develop the whole person to their potential um, and get them ready for life and society, that's more than year eight algebra. That's more than um, passing a year 10 language arts test. That's more than, um, you know, facts and figures. There are skills, you know, you might want to call them 21st century skills. You may want to call them soft skills. You may want to call them social emotional learning, but there are skills and mindsets and behaviors that, students need to learn in order to be successful. Another one I would tap into, and you, you mentioned this one as well, is the idea that school is a static entity that you go into at eight in the morning, or in some cases in this country at seven in the morning, and then you leave at three. Um, and that's where the learning takes place, where it's compartmentalized, where it's um, divided up into subject areas where you don't get this cross-curricular infusion. Um, you don't get bigger goals and purposes. 
what we've seen over the last couple of years um, out of the pandemic is this understanding that learning takes place beyond the physical school building, that it takes place beyond the 7 or 8 a.m. in the morning and the 3 p.m. in the afternoon. That learning should and does take place in multiple formats, in multiple jurisdictions, and it also should continue when you leave high school, when you leave college or university. So we're getting, we're, we're changing some of these assumptions on, you know, what education is. The, and the last one, because I think these three fit together um, as well around the, the questioning the purpose of education. And because once you question the purpose, then how you do it is going to become different. And the third one is this idea that has been around for at least 20 years that the teacher should be this guide on the side. This teacher should be this pedagogical assistant or leader that can help curate um, curriculum and craft learning journeys um, for their students, as opposed to this person being the walking encyclopedia that can therefore just, you know, spit out facts and figures. Now, that's not to say that there's not a in all of these three discussions, that's not to say it's binary, it's one or the other. You know, yes, there are some things that facts and figures that will need to be taught in order for the student to have a, um, a logical conversation, debate, to be creative and be innovative. There are also um, some skills that they will need in order to go to the next step. So it's not always binary, just as the school can also continue to act as a hub of learning, but it doesn't mean it's only taking place there. And lastly, with that sage on the stage versus guide on the side, that doesn't mean that the guide on the side does not have expertise in a certain area, but they probably need to have as much expertise in being that facilitator, that curriculum creator, and that learning journey developer. So I, th I think we're seeing, I think we're seeing a change, a change in education from it being somewhat static, somewhat one-dimensional, dimensional, somewhat siloed. And there's a broader understanding and a broader conversation taking place saying, no, no, education is there to prepare people for the future. What do they need in the future? Let's start to craft that and be a little bit more purposeful and meaningful. Yeah, and and um, and certainly along those lines, I, you know, I think part of the, the, the challenge of understanding what makes a great teacher is is needing to understand the difference between uh, do we emphasize what someone knows versus what they know how to do and we talk about that a lot with students and, and the way we need to evolve instruction but we don't talk about it as much with teachers right but yeah. it, you know there is that that risk of trusting i think processes over people of trying to standardize teaching the same way so many other things in education become standardized and it's like makes me think of the difference between 
showing somebody say a Bob Ross video and they learn how to replicate the steps of painting versus trusting that somebody's expertise is they are an artist, they are Michelangelo. And if we give them a paintbrush and give them time, resources, what they need, they will make you know beautiful art in the classroom. And, and um, part of the reason that it's kind of resonating with the right resonating with me right now is to this point of there's two there's two reasons one of which is something that certainly is mentioned more specifically in the book around if schools if education is meant to prepare students for the future but education itself is kind of stuck behind in the past how do those two things align um and and another is that we're dealing with a, a teacher shortage in the country, largely driven by we're not graduating new teachers into profession. There, people in our universities are not majoring in that. They're not going into it. So one, are there certain things about the way the profession is constructed that are not making it attractive to a new generation that wants to be creative and wants to try new things and wants you know, to do meaningful work? And two, are we emphasizing the wrong things? For example, I don't know if this is the case, but are is there an overemphasis on research-based practices at the expense of all else? Research-based by nature takes a longer time to prove that it works. By the time we prove that we know definitely how to teach one thing, what's happening in industry is five steps ahead because <laughs> yeah, yeah. the economy moves fast. So how, you know, how do we kind of find the right balance of saying, all right, we need to kind of move with that. And we also need to have people want to be in this profession and want to kind of do some good work here. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's tackle the, the first one you mentioned, which is lack of interest or growing lack of interest in the profession. And there was a great article by Michael Fullen and uh, a co-author in Ed Week this week, which is, um, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the article in front of me, but it's asking who has abandoned who in education. And the, the fact is that there's not a, we're not seeing in education a lack of qualified people. We're seeing a, um, an increase in people who are becoming disillusioned by education. And part of that is the, the rancor that, they're um, encountering um, in the public sphere. There is a, a general lack of respect and trust in a lot of our communities um, around teachers. And they're also getting the blame for a lot of things which are not under their control. So you're seeing a lot of teachers who the majority of teachers when they go into the profession um, and you probably are the same, Ross, and I was the same, enter it because we see education as working for the common good. We see it as one of the greatest vehicles for improving the individual and also improving our communities and our society. You know, we don't go into it or we rarely go into it because we love an algebraic formula or we love a semicolon. Although having said that, we may be passionate that um, language arts or poetry or drama might be a really great avenue to um, develop um, the whole person. You know, for example, I, I got in originally, I was a physical education teacher, um, health teacher, but also um, a history teacher. And I saw both of those 
subject areas as really important, not so much in developing the skills of how you bounce the ball. That's that's nice and allows you to go and collaborate and stay active and stay fit. But in terms of raising the individual's um, self-esteem, um, increasing their self-efficacy in having them develop leadership skills, fellowship skills, um, decision-making, teamwork, collaboration. You can do all of those things in a really well-planned physical education uh, program. And then, you know, things like history or geography or social studies, learning about why changes were made, um, why decisions um, occurred, and then what some of those outcomes were. You know, it gets back to this idea of if we're planning for the future, we need to know what's happened in the past. So I'm, I'm saying those things because I think we've lost sight of we're not tapping into when people actually get into schools. We're not tapping into and we're not, you know, really delving into the reason why they went into that profession in the first place. We've set up these systems of accountability or systems of organizing or school improvement where the passion and the interest of why that person profession gets weeded out within the first couple of years. You know, there's there's a there's almost like an analogy here where, and we talk about it in the book a little bit, where you know, when we're born, we're born curious. And the toddlers are always asking why. Now, part of that is because they're developing a bit of um, self-awareness that they always get a response if they, or often at least the start, get a response when they ask that question. But we're also just innately curious individuals when we're young. We're out there looking in the garden and we're discovering things. We're looking at plants. We're looking at insects. We're looking at uh, nature. We are curious. And then as we enter school, that curiosity gets almost driven out of us because of the, um, you know, the formulaic um, process of education. Similarly, there's an analogy there with um, teachers who go into the profession. They want to do the common good. They want to try and raise the potential of individuals. They want to tap into the curiosity and the love and the passion of their students. And they too go into this system where that really gets uh, watered down, if not decimated within a couple of years. And it's only the ones that are able to stick around maybe five or 10 years and increase their own level of um, agency or authority or jurisdiction that are actually able to craft the way they teach to tap back into that passion, but also abiding by, you know, some of those systems. There was a last little thing, and then I'll stop nattering on. There was a, well, let me, let me put it this way. If you look at almost any um, teacher of the year, whether it's the global teachers by the Varki Foundation, um, whether it's the, um, the ones here across the U.S., whether it's the, the T4, you know, um, best schools and so forth. You look at those and you look at um, the interviews that you do with the teachers or they do with the teachers. Every teacher that wins those awards 
are not the ones that follow the static. This is the benchmark. This is what I do. We are now on page 43 on lesson five of this unit. They are the ones that understand, all right, this is the this is the framework. This is the curriculum. This is how I'm going to navigate it. This is how I'm going to work around the system. So not breaking any rules, but knowing that if they are going to be great teachers, they're going to have to work around those parameters. It would be really nice if we actually set up parameters and frameworks in education that didn't force people to work outside the system, but actually allowed them to harness and craft the passion that students have in learning and that teachers have in teaching and in nurturing that passion. You know, we've we've developed a system which unfortunately tends to work against passion and interest. Yeah, I think that the the passion and the enjoyment is um you know, it, it's something, again, we talk about it certainly with students and wanting to instill that in them. And and yet I, I think it's maybe often o- overlooked the role that teachers' passion ha- will have in, in students' passion. So we obviously think a lot about, okay, if, if there's uh, under-resourced schools or schools that are suffering from a lot of teacher turnover and they have inexperienced uh, teachers who aren't masters of the craft yet, right, that that is academically detrimental. But what we don't talk as much about is um, if you really love what you're doing, it rubs off on mm. other people, right? If you have, if it's your birthday and the morning of your birthday, you your brother sends you a, a gift card via email because he completely forgot it's your birthday and it's just an obligation. You're like, okay, thank you, but, you know, if you're child... Is this from personal experience, Ross? Are you divulging <laughs> well, you know, we've all been that person, <laughs> but if you're, if your child, you know, on the other hand, um, makes you a card uh, herself, and um, it's objectively not the, the greatest looking card, but you know that she really loved making it for you, and she did it, you know, you really love that thing, right? If you... Uh, I was thinking about it recently because I was just thinking about, okay, when I was in school, not that long ago, um, you know, I'm encouraged that we're having these conversations now because even when I was in school, it never, it it never occurred to me that I was supposed to like school. It's not that I liked it, didn't like it, whatever. It just wasn't presented as this is what we expect by my parents or, you know, anybody. Um, And I'm sure my teachers wanted their students to like school, but it was never it's, it's like if you've ever known somebody who, they're not that many people, but have you ever met somebody who thinks about food as just a means to an end, right? It's, yeah, yeah. It, it was fine. It was, it filled me up what, you know, versus some people who, when you engage them in conversation and they have a vocabulary for it, what did I like about that? What did I not like about well, it? It becomes inspiring. Um, oh, right. Exactly. And so and it, you and think about- it shows you a, it shows you a different perspective or a different take on the same thing as well. It's having having someone who is who is passionate and inspiring. Yeah, is well, it sounds corny, but you know, it sounds obvious, but it's inspirational. But those people also need to, it's not just being a a good motivational speaker. It's actually the skill of inspiring or showing passion with your students 
comes down to knowing who they are and knowing who they are as people as well. And then you can make those personal connections because what's going to be inspiring or passionate for one student or one group of students, it may well be a different context for another. So it's right. Yeah. Yeah. And when I, and I think about, okay, the teachers whose classes I really enjoyed first thought is okay well it's because they made that a priority then you think about it more it's because they were really enjoying what they were teaching right they were in they were creative they they were having a good time and so if as a system we are tamping down on teachers creativity what we're really doing <laughs> is preventing students from enjoying learning because if you're learning from somebody who is not you know, having a good time with what they're doing. Why, why should you like that? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, it's so, it's so, it's so critical, right? It, it's, it's about more than just the, the small picture. Before we move on, let's hear from our sponsors. Uh, you know, big part of this book obviously is, is the why, the why of education. And I know that two of the folks that you said were inspirational in a lot of your thinking around this are Sir Ken Robinson and Simon Sinek. Sir Ken is probably relatively familiar to a lot of our listeners. Um, Sinek, a lot of his work is used frequently in the business community, so he might not be as familiar, but uh, his his most noted book is Start With Why. So that, that kind of gets to the point. Um, one of the reasons why you know it's so important that you're getting to this, in my eyes, is that you know in the business world, right? if you're starting a new business, uh, it's understood that you have to figure out why you're doing it. What are mm -hmm. we doing? What's it for? What's in education? We should be doing that. But often, you know, is it kind of taken for granted the why versus what you're obviously doing in the book to say, well, you know, we actually need to ask that question. Yeah. And it's, I, I suppose one reason why I put the book out there was that, and this, my, my thinking around it is that I see I see so many of the discussions that are occurring in education are coming from a different understanding about what the purpose of education is. Even if, let's say, let's take one end of the spectrum, which is if you believe that education is only about learning content and facts, if it's only about the three R's, if it's only about being proficient or doing better on those standardized tests, then you could actually argue the point that, yeah, teaching to the test makes sense. Having people who are um, extremely knowledgeable about the, the facts and the figures and less skilled at pedagogy probably makes sense. That probably, if all you care about is the test scores in three or four subject areas um, and the SATs, then yeah, let's cut out some of this extra, you know, fluff like music or arts or drama or, um, you know, critical thinking or anything else. If, if, your th if your premise or understanding, either because that's what you believe or that's what you're, you've been led to assume is the purpose of education, then everything else that you're probably supporting and advocating for probably makes sense. I and a lot of other people have that different view of education, that it's there to prepare the person for the future. It's there to get them to fulfill their potential. It's there so when they walk out of um, high school or 
college that they are they know who they are they know what they're skilled at they know what they might need more help with they're still curious they're still learning but they're ready and so if you take that premise um it's almost like the portrait of portrait of a graduate that you know a number of organizations mm-hmm. do it's like let's work out what we want this individual to be like at the end of schooling and then let's plan what the steps and processes should be to get there and it's not going to be around only content and facts and figures it's not going to be holding up the three r's as the only structure it's not going to be standardized test it's going to be showing a breadth of learning um, showing different facets of what the individual needs to be skilled in which includes being socially emotionally aware which includes the ability to think critically which includes decision making teamwork communication problem solving developing your own sense of agency so those things are all just critical and then we start to plan it um plan it in i I used to, um, I've not done this for a couple of years now, but I used to, um, when I did keynotes, I would ask the audience, um, imagine the child at 25. And I would say, and we had it on like a poll everywhere so people could, you know, text up their answers. And I would say, all right, describe in a word or two some of those behaviors or skills or attributes that you want either your child or someone that you know or someone that you teach to have at the age of 25, which is, let's say, theoretically, uh, you know, after formal schooling and and post-secondary. And the answers, no matter where I went, whether it was New York or Wisconsin or or LA or, um, you know, down south as well, or even overseas, were 90% exactly the same. They would say happy, healthy, uh, prepared for the future, empathetic, team player, understanding, caring, compassionate, able to make decisions, to problem solve, employable, you know, trustworthy, all of these things. And, and so the next question we would ask is, all right, if this is what we want our kids to be like, you know, at the age of 25, then what the hell are we doing in our schools to help them get there? Because to be honest, we're in much of our system in schooling, we're doing not just not doing that, we're sometimes doing the opposite. We're sometimes making them um, not lifelong learners, not knowing how to collaborate with others, Um, increasing their levels of anxiety, increasing their levels of mental health, stress and trauma. As you were saying before, you know, continuing this false assumption that education and school should be boring and and should not be engaging. So So we're not only in our current system ignoring what we're trying to get to, in some regards, we're actually doing the opposite and working against it. So it the the book from my my hope is the book gets people to not try and tinker around the middle of how we're doing things in schools, but my hope is that people go back to the 
transformative question of why do we have an education system and what do we want our kids to get out of it? And from that discussion, whatever the answers are going to be, then you can have these other discussions about class time, cross-curricular, which subject over that subject, um, what learnings, um, where it takes place, who's helping with the learnings and so forth and so forth. Because so many of those um, arguments that we have or debates that we have in that middle area about this subject versus that subject or this content versus that content um, or even, you know, the horrific situation now where we're getting books being banned in school libraries, that all comes from a different understanding around the purpose of education. So right. that's what I want people to get, have as some discussions. It's also, which I touch on in the book, I think there is an assumption out there. There is definitely in the general community, but I think there's also an assumption out there in the education community that these discussions are taking place somewhere and they're not really. If anything, they might be, be taking place in a, a philosophy department at the college university level. They might be taking place in an education um, department at a state level. But too often, we maintain the system because it's been there before and we're reticent to take things out of it or change things and we continue on this, you know, along these train tracks of, well, this is the way it's been done. And so we're going to keep doing it because this is the way it's been done. Um, and I just love to really restart that conversation around why. Right. And and the, uh, to, to make, you know, change at the systems level, it requires certainly um, committing to really understanding how the system works, but then taking a step back to look at it from the outside and as a whole, or else you're kind of bogged down in uh, a lot of the, the, the intricacies and it's hard to see, okay, how do we, how do we transform this? And uh, I think, you know, the visual metaphor that you've created in the book um, for understanding this shift is um, this idea of the new educational solar system. And, you know, you are proposing that the solar system, of course, be, built to revolve around why in the center. Um, how, how is that different from how it is now, right? Because yeah. you, you lay that out too. This is kind of what it has looked like traditionally. This is where we need to be. And essentially, you know, the thing that we need to keep referencing and all of our thoughts and decisions need to revolve around has been the wrong question. Yeah, it's the, the way that I see it. And I think the way that many people see education at the moment, currently, it has the what, the content as the, the driver. Content is king. And so the, if I was, or actually I do in the book have a, you know, illustrations of the current solar system where you have the what being the central planet. Um, and then after that, there is the how, you know, the skills that you're learning. And that's then followed. If you, if you take this analogy, you then have these planets which go out further and further of the when the where, um, the who, and then to be honest, um, the why currently is almost the last planet out there. We very often 
at the moment start with, well, we have to have this content and we have to have this skill. And then once we determine that, then we try and craft it into the time and the context um, and the where um, it's being taught in terms of, all right, who are these students? How can we modify this content to make it a little bit more applicable? Um, and then we look at the, um, the who the person is learning, both in terms of um, who they are, but also where they're learning it and what they're learning out of it. And at the very end, we try and justify, you know, very often, well, why is this important? You know, why is this crucial? And sometimes we try and shoehorn those things um, into the conversation. You know, when was the last time a teacher was asked, why are we learning this? Probably happened, well, there are schools which are open right now, so it's probably happening at this very moment. Asking why we're, why we're learning this should be an easy answer um, as opposed to, well, we're being told or it's on the test or um, you'll thank me for it in 20 years um, when probably what we're learning is, has been obsolete for the last 18 years. That shouldn't be a question. What I'm proposing is, you know, the flip um, of that solar system. And so you start with the why, the why of curiosity, but also with a question of why are we learning this? What do we want the child to, to be like at the end um, of schooling? And so there is a reason why you're teaching something. But then the secondary planet really should be the who, because um, what we're doing in schools is we're trying to have the individual understand who they are, but also who they can become. And then we're also asking the collective, all right, who are we and who do we want, uh, who do we want ourselves to become as a community, um, as a society in the future? You know, some of these things are being discussed and planned out, and they should be. And then once you understand, you tap into curiosity, you understand why you're teaching something, and the students understand why they're learning it, you're understanding that you're trying to draw out the potential of the individual who they are, the collective who we are, then you start to, you know, look at when it's being taught in terms of time frame but also where it's being taught in terms of location and context. And then after you've gone through that, then you can start to select what are the skills and what are the content that needs to be taught and developed. If we, and some people might say, well, you run the risk of content which is important being ignored. And I would argue against that because one, those conversations can come up in the, the why um, at the very start. But secondarily, what we've done over the last probably 50, 60 years is we have just increased the syllabus and increased the curriculum, adding on more things that the individual needs to learn in order to be, you know, past school and to be, um, you know, ready um, and we're not taking things away from what needs to be learned. And so, you know, my kids have learned a huge range of information that they probably won't be using 
for the rest of their lives. What they will be um, using for the rest of their, their lives are the skills that they've learned in learning. So they they will they will be reusing perseverance. They will be reusing their study skills. They'll be reusing the collaboration, the communication, the decision making. And those skills can be taught in a myriad of content areas. You know, the example, again, to go back, you can teach collaboration, decision-making, teamwork, leadership, fellowship in physical education. You can teach it in um, English and language arts. You can teach it in science. You can teach it in a range of areas. And so I'm not saying that we don't need content and we don't need content areas. But what I am saying is we need to flip how we decide on that content, how we decide on those content or subject areas and make the rationale relevant and also apparent to those who are learning it. And I think almost going back to that original discussion about teacher um, passion and interest and the, cousin, the, the current resignations that are happening, if we're tapping into the why and we're tapping into the who, we're also tapping into that teacher and learner passion that is the reason why many of us got into the conversation, into the, into education at the start. Right. And, and one thing that's so important about the way the book is, is written is that it's meant um, to help teachers and administrators and, uh, you know, others in other roles to reconsider what school is and also what they have the power to do about it. It's uh, that each of us, um, we don't, we can't unilaterally change everything we think should be different in the entire system, but we each do have a sphere of influence. We have agency within whatever our role is to make certain decisions and take certain actions that will move things forward a little bit. You know, so even down to, to that, that down teacher to, or school. It comes down to level. mindset a lot. And I think the way, so what I do in the book after we go through each of the, the planets, so like a solar system journey through the planets, and then um, I, tr I highlight um, actions or questions that teachers um, can be asking themselves and they, what they can be asking their students around each of the, uh, the planets as well or each of the, the key questions. Because it doesn't mean what I'm proposing might sound like, all right, let's throw everything out and start again. It's not that. And change very often um, has to be subtle and it has to be beneficial um, and it has to be fairly easy. So what I'm proposing is not saying, all right, let's get rid of um, all of the subject areas and let's get rid of all of these things. Let's reframe why we're doing it and let's start to raise up key questions that we can ask ourselves and we can ask our students as we're going through this journey. So you know, and an example would be start with that initial question of, of what the purpose of education is, what are we trying to achieve, and then start asking yourself and also start asking your students, why are we learning this? There's no harm in, in having the dialogue and having the conversation back with your students to, to unpack what's important.
So in each of the chapters, I try and also draw out questions and activities that can be asked by the teachers themselves and also who they can, what they can ask of the students too. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, one of the things that's important to understand about asking that question, why is that it helps to be prepared to articulate to the learners, to, to your faculty, your colleagues, um, the reasoning behind things so that they can be achieved more consistently. And so everybody kind of uh, feels better about what they're working on. It's not an assumption. Asking why is not meant to imply that there's not a good answer. It's meant to prepare the, the right answer, right? If you, there's a good reason why if you're crossing the street with a, a young child, you have them hold your hand. But there's a difference in their understanding between if they ask you why and you say, because I said so, or mm -hmm. you explain, well, because sometimes drivers aren't paying attention and I'm looking at, I wanna make sure you're safe and you don't get hit by a car, right? There, uh, the kid will learn a completely different lesson. It doesn't mean there's not a good reason why we're doing it. Um, so what do you, I mean, what's the next step for educators after they read this book? One, how can they continue to have these conversations? Because I think a, a part of it is that, and this is sort of referenced uh, in the discussion around the pandemic and um, and how in some ways with the remote learning and online learning, it did create some new entryways into these, you know, visibility into these discussions from yeah. parents and families and the public. Um, and to me, that's such a critical part of it because I, while I observe it, it seems as though, you know, sometimes certainly due to, you know, not, not the, the most accurate factors, but that, you know, the public continues to have negative attitudes toward education that are not necessarily aligned to actual shortcomings, but, mm -hmm. um, or actual shortcomings in the quality of education, but they are certainly aligned to shortcomings in the communication about education yeah. in the, you know, articulation of, okay, if we're asking these whys and we understand our why, the next step is then to go and proactively talk about that why and tell students and tell family and here's what we're doing here's why we're doing it that that is a i mean critical last step to you know because you can ask these questions yourself and do all the right things but if people don't understand that or they don't think you're doing it it's going to be hard to sustain it once they kind of start to push back yeah i think i think the education community um, writ large, but also individual schools and districts need to have this conversation. Um, we need to get our answer um, around what our why is solidified. Doesn't mean it has to be exactly the same everywhere, but we have to have these conversations so that we know when we're confronted with, you know, parents and families who are looking to ban books or um, question why we're doing some certain things in a school. We have a um, legitimate and thought through response to why we're doing this and what we're hoping to achieve. So this is, as with any book, yeah, it's designed for the individual reader, but it's also designed for the individual reader to start to have these conversations in the larger school district or education. Um, community um, at the same time. It's 
again, something that I think we have assumed goes on and takes place, but more often than not, it, it never goes on or it rarely takes place. And if you're in any doubt, have a look at, have a look at the mission statement of um, any State Department of Education, uh, district or school. It will talk about things that we probably assume education is focusing on and targeting. Most mission statements will talk about citizenship. We'll talk about compassion. We'll talk about lifelong learning. We'll talk about decision-making, um, being prepared for the future. But then once you get inside the um, school walls and you see what gets taught, um, a lot of it, that becomes the extra and it's that content. It's that what and how. That's what we're focused on. We're not focused on why you're learning it and who you are and who we are um, and where we are. We're, we're focused only on the what and the how. So, yeah, hopefully this will start a conversation that takes place with the individual, but then starts a conversation that takes place in every school. Um, because I, I'm a strong believer that this conversation should be occurring everywhere and it should be occurring frequently and even to those that would have a different philosophy of the purpose of education you know let's have the conversation about it um and there is not i i have my personal views on what um education is about um but there are others who are going to see it differently and the only way that we are going to actually improve schools is to have those conversations. And then you'll start to see, well, yeah, in this jurisdiction, with this culture, this is what we believe is going to be the best school for our students and our future citizens. And in this area, it might look a little bit different, but have the conversation. Don't assume that there is a monolithic answer out there. And really, in, you know, Allow yourself and allow your um, students and your parents and your families to be engaged in that conversation. Well, Sean, I think that is a great place to stop the conversation. And listeners, trust me when I say we've really only scratched the surface of this book. Um, Sean, thank you so much for being our guest here on the Authority Podcast. Listeners, we're going to put more information in the show notes about Sean's book, Questioning Education. Uh, and where you can find it. Subscribe to The Authority for more in-depth author interviews from myself, Jethro, and some of our other network hosts. And visit bpodcast.network to learn about all of our shows. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. 
That's IXL.com forward slash B-E.